0: Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavanagh here on TRSI. I'm here today without my friend and colleague, Michael Dwyer. He is off skiving or whatever Michael does when he's not here. Anyway, the important thing is he's not here. I suppose just a quick little note. I am recording this before it occurs, but later today, and maybe before this goes up, Simon Coveney will have his vote of no confidence. Sinn Féin have brought that forward. We will see how that goes. Finophile TDs have been threatened with six months of suspension. From the parliamentary party, if they vote against it, terribly unfair, you might say. Other people will say, "Well, Finnofall signed up to a program for government, which obligates them to support Simon Coveney in this uh, space." I would personally, I would make the point that the latter is right. Finnofall did sign up to something which obligates them to support Simon Coveney. However, there is supporting Simon Coveney, and there is supporting Simon Coveney and threatening your TDs with six months of suspension from the parliamentary party is perhaps a more uh, zealous application of the need to protect Simon Coveney than I uh, think might have been prudent. It would do no harm if Simon Coveney was gone, despite the loss to our apparently voluminous outreach in Afghanistan. Anyway, It is a shame that Michael isn't available right now because we have just entered my favourite part of the year. That part of the year where if you stop what you're doing as you go about your day-to-day business and you just listen to the noises on the wind, you can just hear at the edge of your listening the words, I don't think that's a prudent use of public funds. And you know that we near the budget and that the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council has wakened from its slumber to give its yearly reminder that the current government and the Fine Gael government before that, and actually Fine Gael governments since the crash, more exactly, have again decided that the easiest thing for this country, just democratically the easiest thing, is that it continue its slow slide into bankruptcy. Because not going bankrupt would require things to happen, difficult things. And well, slowly going bankrupt, that's I mean, a terrible thing, but politically has proven exceptionally popular. It's just one of those things. It's like housing. Everyone thinks more housing is great, just not near them. Everyone thinks the country not going bankrupt is also pretty great. Pardon, maybe some of the modern monetary theorists who think that it can't happen. But they just don't want any of the cost-cutting to impact on them or for their taxes to go up. And so, in the fine spirit of Fine Gael over the last, oh, generation of its life cycle, We just won't do it because those are difficult choices and difficult choices might lead to political repercussions and the adults in most of the political parties have left now and instead we have people who will just say well that's a problem for someone else, possibly a stranger. And so no we won't, we won't balance the budget, we won't do any of those things, we're going to invest, we're going to spend, we're going to take loans, We are going to aim to get our national debt to a glorious 250 billion, and then we will pray to God that nothing goes wrong, or more exactly, we'll pray to God that nothing goes wrong while we're in control. Because, you know, if Sinn Féin takes over and we're 250 billion in debt, very easy to attack them for destroying public finances when actually we've pretty much done that entirely on our own. The budget is going to be an interesting beast this year because it is going to be pretty much exactly the same form as everything else this government has done. A desperate attempt to avoid making difficult decisions. Oftentimes, a desperate attempt to avoid making any decisions or anything that could be construed as governance. So, Ireland's debt is not in a good place. It has been massively expensive to run all the pandemic supports. We're still running enough of them. And we are on track to get to about, I think, $250 in debt. Now, there are upsides to that. I mean, you can borrow on international markets at basically nothing, which is pretty much the only thing keeping the country afloat right now. And we have had strong growth in our um, corporate tax revenues. Really strong growth, actually, in certain areas, at least relative to what you've seen in other areas where they've totally collapsed. But there's a lot of troubles, a lot of stuff that needed to be decided. One of the biggest ones being the pensions. The pension age was to rise, or well, eventually rise. Everyone knows that the pension system is currently unsustainable, absolutely unsustainable. And if we go at the current rate, you, and you're paying into a pension now, and you're in your, like your 20s or 30s, you're paying into a state pension, work on the assumption you're never actually getting a pension. At least not one you can in any way live from. The system is is totally bollocksed and has been for, at this point, decades. So, as part of trying to fix it, they wanted to move up the pension age. That makes sense. When pensions were initially introduced, you got your pension and then you die in a couple of years. Ideally for the government, you die before actually claiming the pension in that like brief space. But people have just, you know, like the bastards they are, started living longer and longer. And living longer and longer on the state. But the problem is people who are in their 80s are not well suited to a lot of the work they would have done when they were young. So a lot of these people can't work after a certain age. So government has to put up the pension age. Now they wanted to bring it up to 67. But that was difficult in a democracy. Because sometimes when you really need to do something, the people you really need to do it to will vote for other people who will promise them that actually that thing doesn't need to be done at all, and that they will fix it some other way. Usually a way which isn't quite pinned down, but another way and it would be better for everyone involved. So it was given to the Pensions Commission to come back with recommendations, and the Pensions Commission did. Now I don't think the report has been formally published yet, but little bits and pieces of it have leaked out, and their idea was that instead of putting the pension up to 67 immediately, well, you delay until 2028, and then every year you bring it up by three months, and then you would have a pension age of 67 in 2031. Now, that is the most civil service plan I have ever heard. It's uncomfortable to do this, so we'll push it off for a couple of years, and then we'll stagger it over multiple years, making an incredibly complicated system when we all know what needs to be done, and it would be far better to just rip the bandaid off and have people unhappy once, as opposed to unhappy over a three or four year period. Now, as part of that, they recommended that the the delay in pushing up the pension age and doing it over that staggered amount would end up costing the state money, quite a lot of money. So they came back with the fantastic suggestion that what the state should do is they should go to self-employed people and the PRSI that self-employed people, that should raise from 4% to 11%. Which is to say, the Pensions Commission, in order to avoid the awkwardness of putting up the pensions immediately, decided that the best course of action was to nearly triple the PRSI paid by the self-employed. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense on any level, not even political, because there are actually a decent chunk of self-employed people in the country, and they're kind of going to notice that. If you triple their PRSI contributions. But that was the plan. That was the plan until Leo came out and said that wouldn't be the plan. That there will be no new taxes. I mean the pension age will still go on this plan. But we're not going to raise taxes. In fact we're going to increase pension payments. And we're going to increase welfare payments. And we're not going to make anyone pay for this. And that's why the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council. Are shall we say asking... um. How exactly is this going to be done? The Irish Fiscal Advisory Council has been out earlier this year. That uh, because you know when we came out and we said we're going to build all these houses, massive, massive amounts of houses. Yeah, they they turned up and just went. And how are we going to pay for that? And um, but this happens every year. I would say nearly every year the Finnegall has been in power. The Irish Fiscal Advisory Council has had to come out and say. Actually, the figures you're giving don't really make a lot of sense. And, and how exactly is this going to work? This year, they've come out a bit stronger. This year, they, they've said explicitly that the government has put together a budget so that it doesn't have to make difficult choices in that, you know, eventually you're going to run out of money and you have to choose what to cut. But that's unpopular in a democracy. So basically, we have just said, well, we're just going to borrow. We're going to borrow indefinitely and there will be no new tax increases. Now, I'm not a man for tax increases, obviously. I think the old 18th century style of taxes are a sin, at least taxes on income, was a fine system. But if you want the government to do things, massive things like health services and all of that sort of thing, well, then they need to pay for it. And if they need to pay for it, well, then taxes of some form are necessitated. But the issue here being... Okay, Fine will stop tax increases, but they're not going to actually cut spending. In fact, they're going to dramatically ramp up spending. And those two things never balance. So we'll just keep going billions upon billions of euro into debt. And then Fine will say, well, we stop taxes. We're a fiscally prudent party. No, 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 they're not. They're not even approximating fiscally prudent. They're going to bankrupt the country. Well, not they on their own, because, you know, one single snowflake is never to blame for the avalanche. But at this year, we've had a decade of it, and there have been many, many snowflakes. One thing actually to note about this, and all of these budgets, all of these these spend, spend, spend things, they're based on estimations of, of how much the country is going to get in, to a degree. Now, borrowing will be used to cover the gap, but they have a general idea that things are good in certain sectors, and there's a hope that the economy is going to really bounce back strongly, that you're going to see people with massive amounts of savings... Uh, spending it and you're basically going to have a roaring 20 situation where people are just going to go mental throwing cash at things and the economy is going to go uh going to go just, just miles up so it's going to be fantastic for everyone and if that happens that will obviously be good for the economy there is a little bit of a black cloud on the horizon though in that so much of our income is based either directly on corporate tax or corporation tax or based on Uh, secondary impacts of those corporations being in Ireland so direct income to their employees but also the general spend around them it's actually rather a staggering amount and that has a bit of a problem because currently we are there is the discussion about a global minimum tax now the official line is that well if a global minimum tax comes in it won't really hurt Ireland for those who are unaware of this, this is basically there are discussions on a global level that there should be a minimum corporate tax that tax should be somewhere in the region of 15 percent. ireland hasn't signed up to it about four other countries haven't signed up for it but other than that there is pretty much global approval for this thing and the argument about it is that well not signing it, it will reputationally damage ireland but signing it could be quite damaging to us financially for years the Irish line has been that it's not actually the tax rates that attract companies here, it's that we're an English speaking language with a highly educated workforce and all of the good things that we do, and to a degree that is true. One thing that isn't mentioned but use, and more used to be true than is true now, there used to be an incredible amount of goodwill in America amongst American businesses for Ireland because so many people in America came from Ireland, that is lessening and lessening over time. And to be honest, I'm not sure how much of an influence it is now, probably still somewhat of an influence, but far, far less than it was. However, if we were to see any sort of damage uh, to the country from a global minimum tax rate, because we're so heavily dependent upon those corporations. It could be absolutely devastating. It could absolutely be the sort of thing where perhaps you might want to not be hundreds of billions of euro in debt for. Because, you know, you lose a massive chunk of your tax revenue, and suddenly those debts that were sustainable, well, they're no longer sustainable. And you're just paying massive amounts of interest. On that note, one of the accountancy um, umbrella uh, organizations, one of their lobbying firms, the CCAB... Well, technically the CCABI, the Consultative Committee of Accountancy Bodies, I believe, is the technical. I very rarely see anyone actually use the full name. Consultative Committee of Accountancy Bodies of Ireland. So basically that is your, that's an umbrella group of bodies that deal with qualified chartered accountants, basically. And they are not, uh, they're not positive as to what will happen if this global minimum tax comes in. They say that we'll suffer substantial economic damage their analysis is that um, somewhere in the region of a hundred thousand jobs will be at risk if this comes in and that basically if this comes in it removes Ireland's tax advantage we are going to find it very difficult to win a foreign direct investment FDI and that um, that's not great but they also point out that if we don't sign it well then yes there will be uh, reputational damage But if we do agree with it, then we're going to lose jobs, tax revenue. There's agreement that this thing is going to be bad for Ireland. The question is how bad? The government are saying that, well, if this happens, if there are these sort of reforms that are being pushed for by both the Americans and the OECD, then Ireland will lose about two billion in taxes a year, which is a problem because, well, corporate tax revenue is 20% of exchequer receipts, which is not a great thing. However, if... These lads are right, well that's a whole different ballgame, that's a far worse scenario. Now this is coming from chartered accountants. You could argue there is an interest for that profession that nothing could be done to uh, jeopardise the movement of multinationals here who are perhaps very interested in tax affairs such that they would require the work of large amounts of chartered accountants. So there may be a sectoral interest in this. On the other hand, you would expect that chartered accountants would have a very solid understanding of what companies in the area care for and why they are in Ireland, because they are the people who do these sorts of things. It certainly seems possible. It's difficult to tell exactly because it depends on wider business climate, but it could be uh, potentially devastating to Ireland. And like everything else, we are just going to walk right into it on the assumption that the good times will keep on rolling and nothing needs to be done other than that because doing anything other than that would be a decision and we can't have those we can only have things that happen at least from 2025 because then they are someone else's problem and if that someone else is a variant of finnegal and finna well then 2030 and then it will be someone else's problem and so on for all i complain about the level of governance of the current government, and of their ability, I will at least give them this. They have been incredibly consistent. They weren't able to govern when they started, and by God, they're not going to be able to govern when they leave. Things just happen. No one knows why. No one has any plans. To the extent they have plans, they're clearly not going to work. We have people just announcing things that don't link together. I mean, Eamon Ryan came out there. The government wants to have, by 2030, 70% of Ireland's... um energy being provided by renewables well maybe we're going to do that at 80 percent. okay is that a solo run from ryan no one seems to quite know but you know what let's just bring it up over 10 percent. who cares and he does this immediately after all these amber alerts and threats of blackouts and all the issues we know are there with renewables because we're seeing them and we're seeing them in at an increased pace but like just why not come out so you're going to increase it by 10% none of this will ever be done so it doesn't matter but well, actually it matters deeply because the government is going to tell the civil service to work towards it and the civil service is going to implement things to move towards it and they'll be damaging in and of themselves but we'll never actually get to it so you can just move the models wherever you want one actual thing on on the on the budget one Leo has said when you look at the quotes and what he's actually saying about this and he's talking about why we need to have a welfare package in the budget saying because we've seen the return to inflation and the cost of living is now rising. And, you know, that's... The, if, if people don't see increases in these, uh, in these welfare payments, well, their standard of living is going to fall. And as a party that believes in a just society, we can't stand over that. He then says we're also a party that believes in rewarding work. Which is a weird thing to say just after you say I'm going to increase the welfare payments. Well, you know what? It's good to get the soundbite bite in. I can't hold that against him. And he makes a good point that as inflation rises, as cost of living rises, payments will go down effectively in their value because everything is more expensive. So your standard of living could fall due to that. Fortunately, there is a policy that would actually enable that to be done automatically without politicians actually needing to get involved at all called indexing. And indexing basically means that you pin a number to another number so it could be uh, inflation rates so just an example let's say you have a payment of 100 euro and inflation goes up by one percent if those are indexed together well then your pension payment now goes up to 101 euro automatically without a politician needing to get involved but not only could you do it for welfare payments you could do it for tax bands so if your tax band was you know let's say after 100 euro you're paying a higher tax band well then, if inflation goes up by 1% and those are indexed together, you're actually paying a higher tax band after you earn €101. Euro. And this could all be done automatically. The problem there is that sometimes it's useful to have things not indexed because sometimes it means that the government is making extra money. Either because it's taking in more money or because or because it's not spending out money. I mean, if, index pay, if, if pension payments were indexed, well then you'd be... You'd just be paying out more money year on year as long as inflation was going on and sometimes it's good to sit on that also the politically the problem with indexing is that um well, there's two actual main problems one is that if something is indexed well then it's hard for politicians to take credit for it on the assumption that you just let it run which immediately leads into the second problem which is that no government can be bound by a former government which is to say any law passed by a parliament can be undone by the same parliament so if you have indexed something and everyone has agreed that you're not going to touch it, you're not going to touch pension payments, you're just going to let the index run and no one will do anything with it. A subsequent government, or in fact the same government or doll, could decide actually that that payment isn't high enough. We, or We have some political advantage to making it look like we're lifting it even more. So we're actually just going to pump more money into that as well and either break the indexing or increase the indexing, but now at a, a higher base level. So, I mean, if that's the thing, if if we think it's basically a sin to let people on welfare see their living standards fall, well, then we can just index it. But we're not going to. We've never wanted to. It's it's something that's been talked about for decades, but we're just not going to do it. We don't want to do it. So it is what it is. There is a strong argument that tax bands should, in fact, be indexed because the cost of living goes up. Your wages are worth less. So if you index the tax bands, well, then that would offset to a degree the cost of inflation depending on exactly how it was done that also won't be done because then that means that the government is going to earn less tax revenue from you if inflation is going up and they don't like that if there is ever indexing it will be on payments from the state it won't be on your income because then that means less money for the state and by god that's not going to happen i suppose indexing is one of those hard choices that you might need to make we were meant to have a balanced budget by 2025 Uh, that's gone but that's been gone for a while they said in whenever the summer statement came out I think June that uh, they weren't going to do that and instead they were going to have more deficits so they could pay for all of the stuff they wanted like uh, housing and sustainability oh and uh, increased costs due to an aging population and the interesting thing about all of those things is that they don't ever stop so if a government takes out a massive debt to pay for a one-time infrastructural project it can be very expensive but eventually that project is finished and you have the advantage of having that project and you can work on then getting rid of your um, your debt the population is not going to stop getting older people are not going to stop needing houses and the sustainability things will cost simply so much over the projected term that we will never meet that target and therefore never stop paying for it. And all of this is based on current levels of corporation tax receipts. So that isn't going to end well. If that, if that is the reason why we're going to borrow this money and why we're not going to go for a balanced budget, we're never going to go for a balanced budget. And that works fantastically until it doesn't. You keep running this, you keep building a deficit, gives you a lot of cash, lets you do a lot of stuff. Your problem is always what happens when something unexpected happens, like let's say the collapse of corporate tax receipts, and then you're left with just this massive amount of money you can no longer afford to repay. And that is generally when you go to the wall. On the subject of funding, there's actually an interesting article by uh, Dr. Sean Barrett, The Economist, I think it's Trinity-based, could have been UCD, but I think Trinity-based, on the Irish Health Service. It's titled, Ireland's health system isn't as underfunded, understaffed or under-resourced as we think. And it is largely about the widespread public perception that the problem with the Irish Health Service is that not enough money was pumped into it, which is not true. By OECD standards, the Irish Health Service has massive amounts of money pumped into it. Now, some people will say that actually it's a historical issue. While it now has massive levels of funding pumped into it, it didn't have that historically, and that's the problem. The problem with that claim is that when... We started pumping more and more money into the Irish Health Service, into the HSA. We didn't really see much of an improvement in outcomes. So the money we put in didn't really seem to have much impact, which then led to claims that actually we needed more money and more money and more money. And actually we're trying to undo decades of um, misuse and uh, underfunding of the service. And that's why we just keep pumping money in and nothing is happening, which is certainly one approach. Another approach might be to say that if we're pumping massive amounts of money into this and nothing is happening, maybe we should stop pumping massive amounts of money into this on the assumption that uh, something will eventually happen, and perhaps design a new system. We have the third highest share of GDP spent on healthcare in the OECD, and we are exceeded only by Switzerland and the USA. Never experienced healthcare in America, Swiss healthcare, excellent. One thing that, it, that this article does go into, which I wasn't, I wasn't aware of, I knew that numbers had increased, but not by this much, is that the number of medical and dental staff in the public health service increased by 32% between 2010 and 2019. I had known that between 2010 and 2019, public expenditure on health increased by 28, nearly 29%, but not that the staffing levels had increased Uh, by that amount. And it makes the argument that, and this is quite a a good point, Ireland has a much lower proportion of its population over 65 than other OECD countries. So we should have a much lower level of uh, healthcare cost, because old people are incredibly expensive on the health service. Young people tend to have um, acute things, Things will happen to young people that won't happen to old people, and well, not in the levels that they happen to young people. Old people tend to have chronic illnesses, which put constant pressure on the healthcare system. He also spent some time talking about one of the issues with the healthcare service, which people don't like talking about because the solutions to it are not palatable politically, and that is the massive amount of nurses in Ireland. So, The Irish ratio of nurses to doctors is 4.5. So for every doctor you have, you have 4.5 nurses. That is the second highest in the OECD. 67% more nurses per doctor than the OECD average. Then each of those nurses is paid on average. The average remuneration is 64,200. That's the fifth highest in the OECD. 31% above the OECD average. Massive amount of nurses... Paid far more than the average in the OECD could be rather suggestive of uh, a cost that could be cut. Now in order to cut it you have to use more effective time usage of the rest of the nurse's time which would involve breaking the unions because they're not going to accept that. Hence my statement the other day Michael. that there are many ways to fix the Irish Health Service but they just all involve firing people and breaking the unions. Which is one of the reasons why it's never going to happen, because, well, these people vote. And these people care far more about their position in the healthcare system than the general population. So they're far more likely to vote against you for sacking them than the general population is to vote for you for sacking them. Also, nurses are immensely popular, and are seen as just one of those groups you have to be nice to. So if you were to sack thousands of them, well, that would be not politically good, even if necessary. And it's a good article. I'll put a link to it below. Sean Barrett is usually interesting on this kind of stuff. But it's just another kind of area in which there are massive cost savings that could be achieved in the HSE. They won't be achieved. There are massive cost savings, savings that could be achieved all over the Irish government. But they won't be achieved. But yet, we have also dedicated ourselves to no new taxes. And I think there is a strong argument that there should be no new taxes, but you need to balance spending, what you're taking in and what you're spending. And if you're not going to raise taxes, that means you need to cut costs somewhere. So you can either cut service provision, or you can increase efficiency in these organizations by restructuring, sacking, new employment systems, things like that. And if there is fat in these that you can cut off, you can do that without impacting on service provision. But we don't do that either, because that's politically difficult. So the easiest, we have found ourselves in a situation where politically, the easiest thing for the government to do is to slowly bankrupt the country. And that's what they're doing. And the opposition parties would absolutely do the same thing. Some of the opposition parties might be more likely to raise taxes. But if they raise taxes, they would just use the money to spend more which would then necessitate raising more taxes and more taxes and more taxes because unless spending is balanced, there's always going to be a reason to raise taxes. So effectively, uh, Ireland is, um, in a, a formal fiscal sense, fucked, I think would be the general way of putting that. And we are likely to remain in that state for the foreseeable future. And none of the parties are interested in Fixing it because fundamentally most of them are no longer serious political party the parties. They are pretty much just colonial bureaucracies, but the Home Office will no longer pick up, and they frankly don't know what to do with themselves. So they take the path of least resistance. And Irish people are very fond of the path of least resistance. It's clearly not going to end well. I think part of this may just be that Finafol and Finnegael have been in government for so long. That they kind of just seem done with the entire thing. Which puts one in the unfortunate position of who is an alternative to those parties. And there aren't very many. I'm not really surprised in, in Fine Gael that Fine Gael would do this. That they would avoid these hard decisions. Fine Gael, when they got in after the crash. And they just missed out on the majority. And they had to go in with Labour. There were many people in Fine Gael who were secretly rather delighted with that situation. Because... Well, then there was a reason not to do some of the things they had said they would do that would have been very difficult to do and would have put them on course for showdowns with unions, with NGOs, with everyone, and would have given Finophile space to grow again. So they came in with labor. Labor basically was used as an excuse or a reason to pretty much totally negate the best chance in this country's history to actually seriously reform its civil service and civil structures down to the NGO level. And Fine Gael had the opportunity, they ran on that platform, and then they absolutely bottled it. And they were quite happy that they bottled it, which was far worse. They pissed away the greatest chance they had, and now they continue as a shadow of what they once were. The Fine Gael manifesto from that, um, from that election, is probably one of the finest election manifestos ever created in this country. It's fantastic, and they implemented absolutely none of it. And here they remained. It is slightly unfair to blame Finnegale for so much of this, I suppose. Technically, Finnefall is in control, but Martin seems to have so little care for how the country is actually governed, and so little input on what is actually being done. The man is basically a phantom. That it's very easy to see any mistake that's done as Finnegales, Because it certainly seems that if Martin said something and Leo said, no, we're not going to do that, Merton simply quietly nods and agrees, because nothing can upset the apple cart. Anyway, that has been me on my own. Michael should be back for Friday, where I'm sure we will have a more uplifting show that will be less about budgetary figures. And won't that be fantastic? All the best.